One aspect of Wallace and Gromit's world that audiences love are the fabulous contraptions. Personally, I'd love my own private robot chef. But to Wallace's detriment, they often have a mind of their own. It's the wrong trousers, Gromit, and they've gone wrong. Stop them, Gromit, stop them! I think in sort of British culture, there's been this tradition of, in a way, make, do and mend. What have I got? What part of junk have I got that I can make this machine to do this, that and the other from? So I think that's the root of Nick's ideas. He would often sketch these things out and then hand them over to our kind of art department who would embellish them and kind of make them look as if they might be a bit more feasible and add a lot to them. Chunks away! Chunks away! The, yeah, the plane in, in Chicken Run, my take was you very often see in films, you know, constructions like planes and you think that would never fly. It just, it doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. I have a friend who actually is in the aerodynamics department of Bristol University, and he and I actually both used to fly gliders. So I said, look, dude, we've got this big prop, this big model. Uh, it's an ornithopter. It's a flapping aeroplane. Can you put us onto somebody that can say, this is what you need to do in order to make it look as if it could fly? And that's what he did. And they sent us a lot of diagrams, oddly enough, of bird wings, you know, how bird wings are constructed. What happened to my wing? You took a rather nasty fall and sprained the interior tendon connecting your radius to your humerus. I gave her a wee bit of a tweak, Jimmy, and wrapped her up. Was that English? There's a kind of ratio of the wing size to obviously the weight you're trying to carry, kind of lifting for. So we thought we don't want, we don't want this huge great fuselage full of all these chickens and quite tiny wings. That doesn't, that's never going to look like as if it's likely to fly. That was the idea. So, okay, if the wings need to be that big, how are they going to be constructed? How are they going to flap? And then we look quite closely at, at bird wings where they're hinged, how they flap, how they operate, which influenced the design of that big, big bird flying machine. And that's really where it came from. There's, there's a certain amount of aerodynamic truth in it and a certain amount of aerodynamic um, fiction. We try to make sets where the sets have history in them, as if, well, someone's lived here for a long time. What kind of ship is this? The pirate ship, in the same way, is two ships very badly stuck together. Presumably there have been two wrecks and some total cowboy shipbuilder, or maybe the captain himself, has nailed the ship together. The rear of the ship, the stern of the ship, is kind of like early 17th, no, late 17th century Dutch, and the front of the ship is like 18th century French. If you've got so much booty, then how come you're still sailing that old wreck? The ladder, you know, like on ships, when you go up to the from one deck to another you go by a ladder in this case they've got a staircase that's been bought from a house i suppose and the figurehead is way too big for the ship and that's been brought from somewhere else the carving of the figurehead is fundamentally funny in fact now i think about it the figurehead is has got a woman's body and a man's head as well and it's enormous they had to widen the door just to get it into the studio it's extraordinary how these things go that you spend a load of time and energy building something absolutely magnificent which you then see rather swiftly for about about a minute. But also, to me, it provides depth. I asked David how recent developments in digital technology assisted the production process. Digital technology has made everything, in a way, so much easier. Wonderful things, these techno trousers. It's given us an incredible range of tools, which I'm sure Ray Harryhausen would have absolutely loved to have used in his day. 
everything's getting smarter and more bangs for your buck. So it's much, much more accessible. And, you know, these days, if you've got, you know, an iPhone or a little digital camera and a computer, you can become a pretty sophisticated stop frame animator. You don't need much kit. With animation, you, know, you, do, you are a god. You are, you are playing god. And I sometimes say this to audiences, and I sometimes... I think I may have judged it badly. I see, I see fear in their eyes because I think I've, I've gone a bit mad or something. But, uh, but no, it's true because, because you create the world and you populate it and you give it, you give it everything. You give it, you give it life and you give it morality and you give it rules and, and everything like that. And the process is, yeah, a bit repetitive. You do a thing. You, you've, got your, you've got your puppet or you've got your Lego and you move it and you take a picture, and at a certain stage, you've got to go to the toilet, so you leave, and you come back, and you move it, and then you have a cup of tea, and you're listening to the radio, or your mum comes in. It's a full it's a full day of experience with, you know, good and bad, and, and high, high points and low points, and distractions, and so But at the end of it, all that goes away, and is miraculously, miraculously transformed into this these few seconds of experience, which never happened, never really happened, never happened before. And that, that's a very thrilling thing, indeed. And I think that that's part of what has driven this love of stop frame. I think, I think what we realise, certainly with the Wallace and Gromit films, part of the appeal is that homemadeness, the fact that you can see the kind of, not quite made on the kitchen table, but if you had the time and, and the skills, you could have made these films yourself because you can see how handmade they are. I think, you know, the last few years, we've seen this explosion of stop frame films. Part of it, I think, is a little bit of a backlash against the kind of very polished, very finished, glossy nature of CG films. And, and a bit like the, uh, the sort of analogue revolution that's going on. You know, everybody's going back to vinyl, people are going back to black and white chemical photography, people are, you know, knitting their own jumpers and socks these days. You know what I mean? There's a sort of a desire to get back to some of the more fundamental stuff, and I think probably the stop frame thing is part of that. You know, in this exhibition, we all get to see what Ardman is, and again, it's very hard to define, but is, is there something that is at the essence of Ardman? Nick comes up with beautifully absurd ideas, you know, a vegetable horror movie. I mean, that's, that's a crazy, lovely, absurd idea. And I think that comes from Probably, you know, the legacy of, you know, Spike Milligan and the Goons and the Monty Python and the sort of stuff we watch as kids on TV. And I think coupled with that, there's a heart and a kind of humanity. And I think we try not to do things in a cynical way. I think we're subtler. And I think that's probably to do with the way the British tell stories. Our instinct has never been to create a business. It's been to create films and to create a studio. And business success has been a delightful, natural spin-off to artistic ambition, I think. We are filmmakers, first and foremost. That's why we get up every day. I suppose, in a way, it's like a lovely marmalade, isn't it? It's a, it's a number of ingredients that add up to make something rather splendid, which is hard to define. And if you, you can say, oh it's, oh, it's a nice bit of orange peel, but orange peel on its own doesn't make marmalade. You know, know what I mean? There's a bundle of stuff which comes together to make more than the sum of the parts, as they say, which I think in combination give you what is the Ardman culture. Mm -hmm.